name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. There is a saying, it had to have started in the UK, no one quite knows when. The Germans have taken it up and taken ownership. I won't read the German version of it, but the English version is simple enough. Jesus is coming. Look busy. <laughs> Jesus is coming. Look busy. Well, Jesus is coming, and it's not hard to look busy. At this time, at this time of the year, whether you want to or not, that some of the business may be due to Jesus is more and more open to question. What is for sure is that Christmas, the busyness of Christmas, that is, is all about busyness, and that being busy is good for business. What Christ would make of it were he to return, I do not know. We trust he will return, and we know we'll all find out. Preparation for Christmas, Anglican style, means putting it off as long as possible. It's our way of striking back against the world, and especially all those other denominations that are already singing Christmas carols. Christmas is Christmas in name only when you go to Home Depot, and they begun at least the Christmas songs right at All Saints Tide. In the world, of course, the clink of the coin in the cash box is the sure sign of the searching after grace. Santa Claus, who still makes an appearance in the world, is all about works righteousness. He knows if you've been naughty or nice, and if you doubt, his omniscience, the all-seeing eye of the elf on the shelf, should reassure you. <laughs> Everything is seen and nothing is forgiven. Maybe that makes our segue to the season of the ecclesial year then, the season of Advent, a little easier. For although Advent comes before Christmas, it's really about the coming of Jesus, not just as a baby, but at the end of time. In Christian eschatology then, the ones who are destined to eternal enjoyment of this earth at the end of time, renewed, must first be raptured away so it may be purified by fire. Modified rapture, you might say, quoting W.S. Gilbert. But if you are to inherit the earth, it is by way of heaven. To get to the point, as in this tired old world, the determination of who gets what for eternity is made on the basis of works. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with the cares of this life, and from the cares of this life any solace we can find in any number of medications. Alcohol was the one of choice at Jesus' time. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. The burden of trying to live your life out, craft your own identity, and fight for it in the marketplace, especially at the time of Christmas when something else we know is on offer, is poignant to say the least. Lest your anxiety over the business of daily life then, creating that identity and maintaining it, get you down, become a burden, oppress you, distress you, depress you, Jesus is saying, watch. 
there is redemption for those who have heard my voice. But in the meantime, make sure that you're listening to my voice now. Do not go the way of the world. Look not to what you can grasp, but at what's got you in its grasp. And ask yourself, what of all the things that preoccupy my thoughts and occupy my plans now, what, if anything, of all the things I am doing is really doing me or anyone any good? Look busy, it's hard not to, with all the things that we have to do in the next month. All the rounds of nutcrackers and office parties, school parties, and every other kind of celebration which change our focus from the waiting for the one who is to come, both now and at the end of time. Look busy? No. What you can do for Jesus is look around you and then look in the mirror. What are you doing? What on earth are you doing with your life? As far as doing goes, Paul Saul says there are three modes of doing. There are the things we ought to do, the things we want to do, and the things we would rather be doing. The things we would rather be doing are the things that were planted in our hearts when we were children, no matter what our childhood was like, where our true self has its roots the dream of some world really filled with love, some world really transformed by its Savior. The things we want to do or what we learn to do by the time we graduated from high school and which our world of careers and work have forced into us, ego acquisitions, and the little bit of what we dreamt of that we have settled and grafted onto what the world around us will grant us. What we ought to do, well, that grows from there. We know what we want, and we'll try to get it when we can. When God steps into the picture, if he does, we tend to shift our weight from the want to the ought. The ought becomes his, but life does not get much better. We think that's where God would put his weight too, the weight of his glory. And that weight ends up on our backs. We become beasts of burden for God. If God is riding you as a beast of burden, Luther says, it's not God, it's the devil, and you'd better get a check on your salvation. But we struggle on, each step getting heavier and heavier. And we imagine that this pleases the more burdensome the task, the further it is from anything we would have dreamt of doing when we were young, the better for us. We're adults now, not children. And when he sneaks up on us unawares, when he catches us, catches up and catches us out, we will pray that he finds us busy and at work. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, like a snare, he says. And everything Jesus says today is designed to arouse fear. There's no way to tiptoe around it. He says it to arouse our sense of fear. For heaven's sake then, don't let him catch you, ambush you, doing something bad. Doing what you ought not to, which includes anything that isn't what you ought to do, which includes everything that you ought to do for him, but aren't. It seems then that whatever we say, 
We labor to please a God who watches from on high. We may welcome him in to his world on Christmas Eve, but by the resurrection, we're just as well to see him off. A God who watches from on high until he comes upon the earth with sound and fury. He has said it today, and he's also said it in St. Luke's Gospel a few chapters earlier. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man, the human being, which is what that phrase means. They were simply living out their lives. That's all they were doing, living out their lives, going about their busyness. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. And fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on that great and terrible day which is yet to come like a thief in the night. Little wonder then, on that quiet night, an unwed teenage mother came to her time, her time of term. Veiled by her womb, the God who dwelt in unapproachable awe behind the veil of the temple was now wrapped in rags, swaddling clothes, and set among the creatures who warmed him with their nuzzling and their licks and their hot breath. Not what anyone expected. Is this Jesus simply saving up his wrath then for something yet to come? Or has he already showed us something, something of himself, of his heart, in that child's face, in any child's face, blinking and yawning and trying to shield its eyes from the lamplight in that dark, cold space? We'll have to wait to find out. But in those texts, there's an assurance from Jesus that we already look with confidence to a different possibility. How to wait then? In busyness, in fear? No, in love. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, cozy club, and for all, everyone out there, as we do for you. Notice St. Paul says, not as God does for you. He's saying, we love you with God's love. Wait till we can see you face to face with that love. God's love comes through other people. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What, with busyness? No, with love. As our first prayer, the Collect for Purity, has said to us, the God who can see what is in our hearts, what is and isn't in our hearts, will touch our hearts with his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit will birth in our hearts the love that we've received from him, which becomes the love we have to share with others. How are we to find his favor on that day when he comes back? By earning his love? No, by receiving it as gift. Unearned, unmerited, given gratis free. Love alone 
freely accepted, establishes, undergirds, puts the stiffening girders into our hearts in holiness. Love given, yes, love received. Love given to those who are suffering, our fellow creatures, one another. Love given to those who will never give it back. When we love, when we are doing that which we love to do, that which we would rather above anything else be doing, we are pursuing his paths in love, and we're being a blessing for our fellow humans, our fellow creatures, for all creation. When we're doing not what we ought, not what we want, but what we were made for, what he wants through us, love. And if you would rather be doing, doing what you love in love, you are doing it for its own sake, for the sake of the beloved, for the joy of loving, not being loved. It's not quid pro quo, like some dreadful prenuptial agreement. I give, I give, now you owe me. That's not love. Like the list of presents or the Christmas cards, we check them off, Hmm, I see we didn't get something from so-and-so. Shall we send them something next year? Maybe not. We gave, we didn't get, we will not give again. No. If we are loving to earn the love of others and make them earn ours, then this labor of love is not of love at all. And when we use the world's goods, security, status, and stuff as our medium of exchange, then this whole business, the business of busyness, has got to stop. Jesus administers his shock therapy. You can't take it with you, he says. This whole treadmill you are running on may keep the economy humming, but it's got to stop. It will kill us. And when this whole economy winds down for good, God's economy is based on nothing like this world's economy, nothing at all. Only love remains when all the smoke and the dust is cleared. Only the love you give freely, just as you receive, with open hands and open hearts. One-way love that gives with the hope, but no expectation of love in return. No sense of obligation, only that is love, only that remains to make strong, to build the structures that we call heaven and the new earth. Only this one way live that gives and gives and gives is the tie that ties that truly binds all creation together now and in the world to come. Love and only love remains. Amen. Please stand.